Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Aren't you glad he's still working? God is still in business. Amen. He hasn't gone out of business. He hasn't shut down. He hasn't been quarantined. He hasn't been locked up. He is still doing what he's always done, and it's our awareness. I love songs like that that tell us, man, even when I don't see it, even if I don't feel it, you're just going to have to learn in a life of faith and in the life of the kingdom that your sight will deceive you. You know, it's not the lie that holds the power. It's the deception that holds the power. A lie is a lie. But why do people believe a lie is truth? It's because it's, they're deceived or they're manipulated or it's been twisted, right? And so, you know, we've got to have eyes to see beyond just the natural. Your eyes will deceive you. Your natural feelings, they will lie to you. They will deceive you. And if you're only rejoicing when something is worth rejoicing over, if you're only happy when there's something to be happy about, then we're missing it. We've always got something to rejoice about. We've always got something to shout about. We've always got something to dance about. I don't need the factors and the externals to line up with what I already know God's word says. I will see it because I believe by faith. Amen. Got to be a faith church. That's why we're called Anchor Faith. We want to see people anchored to Christ living life by faith. Guys, I didn't give you all this one, but if you can go to Philippians chapter 1 for me. I'm going to actually read this one out of the New Living, Philippians chapter 1. I, um, this week has been a little different uh, in the sense of preparation. You know, we just got done spending January talking about the power of a declared word, the power of our words, the power of declaration. You know, us Word of Faith people, we call it confession, amen confessing, saying, speaking, and I don't really care what you think about it. At the end of the day, your words contain power. Your words contain life or death, and you are producing one of those with your words. This isn't a name it, claim it, just call out whatever you want, and it'll just show up magically. This is about aligning our mouth with God's word, getting God's word in your mouth, because his word in your mouth is just as powerful as his word in his mouth. So if you missed any of those messages, I promise you it will help your year. Um, it will show you that you have more responsibility. Uh, you know, we, we make, uh, you know, a list of resolutions, right? But maybe we should make lists of responsibilities uh, every year, and that ought to be one of them. Let me get my mouth to align with God's word. I don't want to say anything that contradicts his word. I don't want to say I'm feeling sick when his word tells me that I am healed. By his stripes, you were healed. So I'm going to claim it. I'm going to claim it. And if you don't want to claim it, then you can stay sick. I'm going to claim it, and I'm going to receive my healing. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Either his word is a lie or it's truth. We ought to just live like it's truth. And I just give a word of notice to any word of faith people. We're going to have to have some action to back up our words if people are ever going to take our confession seriously. Don't be confessing his word over your finances and you got credit card bills rung up and you don't know how to steward finances. Come on. You're hurting the word of faith message. I'm word of faith. I believe word of faith. I grew up word of faith. I, I am word of faith. It's in my DNA. When they draw blood, it comes out word of faith. But I'm not stupid either. And I recognize that sometimes we do actions as church people that hurt our witness. They don't help us. So we've got to have, we got to have both. Amen. Got to have both. So we want to help it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Too early to be scolding y'all already. I got I to gotta butter you up a little bit better than that. That's my fault. I just got off the drums. I'm a little feisty already, so... <laughs> Philippians 1, verse 6. I am certain. Everyone say certain. Man, I love the certainty of God's word. I love the confidence and the assurance that God's word gives us. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, 
will continue. Everyone say, will continue. Will continue his work until it is finally finished. Everyone say, finished. On the day when Jesus Christ returns. He says, I am certain that God who began, everyone say began, the good work within you. He only begins good works. He doesn't begin bad works. Amen. We're not serving a God that's testing you and and putting things on you to teach you lessons. And he's not even capable of doing those things. He doesn't even have the capacity. He doesn't have a closet of sickness in heaven that he goes and pulls from when he wants to really get your faith developed and built up. Satan does. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came to bring life and life more abundantly. So God brings life. He began a good work. Look at your neighbor. Tell him he began a good work in you. Man, he began a great work in you. He began an awesome work in you. He began a mighty work in you. God only does good things. He's a good, good father. He began the good work. It says that he will continue his work until it is finally finished. So we have a beginning, we have a continuation, and we have a finishing. A lot of times we serve a God that we think is just in the past or only in the future. But we've got to recognize we serve a God that's in the present. And that what he started, he's continuing continuing to do, and he will see it through until completion. If there's anything in your life that you haven't yet seen the fulfillment of or the completion of, it's not because God has stopped working on what he's doing in your life. This word tells us that we can be certain, confident. Let let me just demonstrate certainty to you. Can Can I demonstrate certainty to you real quick? You have to participate. Hey, this is Participation Sunday right here. I'm going to ask a question, and if you feel you know the answer with all certainty, like beyond the shadow of a doubt, you know the answer, I want you to raise your hand. One plus one is two. If you know the answer to that, well, I just gave you the answer. I just ruined my own. This is why I don't do props and demonstrations. I give you another one. I give you another one. I'm not going to give you the answer. You have to answer. You have to. I don't want answers. I don't want anybody shouting it out because I don't want you to give away the answer like I just gave away the answer, okay? We're going to cut that out of the tape. We're going to start over right here. We'll rewind that. It's okay to have fun in church, isn't it? Come on. It's okay to have fun in church. Uh, loosen up a little bit. We don't got to be stiff. We don't got to be religious. Oh, come on. Let's have some fun. I'm going to ask a question. If you know it with complete certainty, do not shout out the answer. Just raise your hand quietly and simply. If you know the answer to two plus two, just raise your hand. I mean, with, without there's, there's no doubt in your mind. Just keep your hand up. No doubt in your mind. No doubt in your mind. You know 100% sure you know the answer to that. I don't see every hand. I'm, kind of, I'm a little concerned right now. I'm a little worried that we aren't as certain of the answer of this right now. I felt like I picked the easy one. Maybe one plus one was the easy one. We worked our way up. Two plus two. Okay, you can put your hand down. That's the kind of certainty God wants us to operate with in the kingdom. Now, right there, I just blew some people's minds. Right there, I just blew some people's minds because we, we, we don't connect that level of certainty with his promises and with our beliefs. But yet, that's the certainty he's talking about. I am certain that he who began will continue incomplete. Certain. Like, there's no other way beyond the shadow of a doubt there is no doubt. Remember what Mark eleven twenty three tells us, that if you'll believe in your heart and will not doubt in his heart, you will have whatever you say. That, we're talking about a measure of certainty that God wants us to operate. And I believe in these last days, we're going to get there. 
I believe our faith is going to rise to a place. It's now, you're going to believe for things you never thought were possible. You're going to move into seeing not just the God who can start something, not just the God who I know one day he'll complete it, you know, like Martha with Jesus. I know one day in the, when the resurrection comes and Jesus is saying, resurrection is here in the present right now standing in front of you. You can see this completed today. You will see the completion. We, we have this... This, this, this trouble sometimes reconciling that God will continue. Will continue a good work. He will complete it until the end. We need to have this type of hope. We need to have this type of assurance. We need to have this type of certainty and confidence and belief that God will do it. But today, my, my heart is a little burdened and there's, there's a little bit of weight. Um... And so I want to I want to press this, and, and and I felt that I needed to start there because we need to understand that what God, what God starts, He will finish. He will continue it. He will see it through to completion. But there's something that just you know I, I'm not trying to make it heavy to you. I, it's heavy to me, but I'm trying to be the interpreter and, I, and Holy Spirit. I'm asking you to help me present this. But there, there's something we've got to address. And I know on Sundays we have a, a wide uh, ver- variety of people. Some of you, you've been here. You've been locked in with us from day one. You've, we've got some that, man, you're, 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 you're starting to find out what Anchor Faith Church is all about and, and the intensity and the drive and the passion by which we operate, that we're not here to just do church as it's normally been done, status quo, just going through the motions. And, and then, I, you know, I'm seeing some new faces I'm seeing some first-time faces, and I'm just going to ask everyone in the room to just bear with me as I get this out today. I had a completely different message up until about uh, 6 a.m. this morning, but there, there are some things that have been brought to light, some things that are happening, and I just feel the Lord just in, in, impressing upon me by my spirit that we just need to address some things. Is that okay? Can I talk to you as your pastor today? Can I talk to you as a pastor, even if I'm not your pastor? Can I talk to you as a pastor, a shepherd, an overseer of your souls, as the Bible says? Yesterday, we had Vision Partnership, man. We had, I think, nine families there, and just incredible to see the church growing and the church increasing. And, and man, if you've been coming, you say, man, I, I, I want to know more about Anchor Faith Church, what this ministry, this church is all about. Man, you want to get involved. You want to get connected. You want to come and learn more and discover more. So be on the lookout for the next one. But even yesterday as, as I was delivering it, it just, it felt like, it just felt different. Um, I think that we need to renew hope in the local church again. There's got to be a renewed hope Bible tells us what Jesus began, he will finish, and he will continue until its completion. The first thing you need to know about the church is that it was Jesus' idea. This was not our idea. This was not man's idea. First thing you got to understand about the church is it was all in Jesus' mind. It was all in the Father's mind ever before it was displayed on this earth. And in Matthew chapter 16, you can just jot it down. I won't have you turn there or go there. But Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples. And he, he says that I will build my church. I mean, he's literally taking personal responsibility for building the church. It's his church. It's his church. But what happens sometimes is man gets a hold of what God originally intended, God originally purposed, and we can mess things up. You ever notice that when humanity gives involved? I mean, it only took three chapters into the entire book for a man to mess up God's original intent and purpose of ruling and reigning on the earth. And, and the very thing that God had given them, they handed it over on a silver platter to their enemy, to God's enemy. It doesn't take long for us to get a hold of something and start to, but that doesn't give us an excuse to not exercise it or use it according to what the word of God 
shows us. But a lot of times we do that. We don't get healed or we don't experience healing the first time we pray over ourselves or pray for someone else. And so we find excuses to water down or dumb down what the scripture says, even though the scripture is clear that, that, that he came and by his stripes we are healed. This ought to be something we should expect, believe for, and walk in consistently and continually. That everywhere the apostles and the disciples went, they were healing people left and right. Everywhere Jesus went, he was healing people left and right. And it says he healed all manners of sickness and disease. With what I just ministered last week on, or, or, or last month on confession and your words and the power of your words. And the first time it doesn't work, well, he must not have meant that. And so, you know, we can always lift our belief system to the level of what God's word says, or we can shrink it down to the level of our experience. Your belief system's hanging in the balance, and you can either lower it to, well, this is what I've experienced, this is what happened to me, or we can allow it to rise above our experiences and above what happens and above uh, the letdowns and the disappointments of life and say, no, this is what God says, and I'm going to believe this, and I'm going to stand on this. In anything in life, we have to have that reconciliation. And there's a tension there. I understand you're being pulled in one day by what, in one way by what's physically being seen. But then you're being pulled in what, okay, this is what God's word says. If we're going to talk about end times, last, last days, revivals, all these things, we have to recognize the role of the church the local church. God has a heart for the local church, and he still does today. The Bible tells us that the church is the bride of Christ. I mean, if that gives you any kind of context of the relationship and the value and the harmony that Jesus desires to have with his people, with his church, that, that should tell us everything we need to know right there. He's married to the church. I don't know about you. You're not going to talk about my wife however you want to talk about her. You're not going to say whatever you want, not without me getting up and having some things to say about it. But do you know that the church gets bashed a lot? The church gets, the church gets knocked around quite a bit. And I think we lose sight sometimes that we're talking about the bride of Christ. We're talking about the one he is returning to come and receive. He's not coming back for the world, folks. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. But when he gave his son, every, every opportunity was given to every person to receive. And those that don't receive, he's not coming back for. The Bible is very clear. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his church. And he's coming back for a triumphant church, a victorious church, an overcoming church. Not a weak and battered and broken and shut out and accused of church. He's coming back for his church. He's coming back for his bride. And I believe that in these last days, if we're going to see the move of God that we anticipate, we're going to have to regain a value and reignite a passion for the church. That's easy for you to say, Pastor Mark. You're a pastor. You run one. But I'm not, I'm not just talking to you because this is a job title or my, my, my pay is on the line. I could care less about that. Y'all all leave tomorrow. I'll go work at Chick-fil-A with Mr. Charlie right here, and we'll start all over again. I've done it before. I'll do it again. This has nothing to do with money, payroll, uh, what people think, reputation. This has to do with the church is what is bringing heaven to earth in these last days. When he mentioned, I will build my church, the very next thing he said is, and I'm giving you keys to the kingdom of heaven. When you shut out the church, you shut out heaven. And I know this is easy on a Sunday morning. I'm talking to people that are in church. So y'all can say, whoo. I'm not that one. But then that puts the responsibility on us to be a reflection of his church as we ought to. See, people don't, don't misinterpret the value and the purpose of the church most times because of what the word says. It's because of what they actually see lived out in front of them. In John chapter 5, I'm going to use a story here to kind of 
tie this together. John chapter 5. I'm going to be reading out of the, the Christian Standard Bible, so it'll be on the screen behind me. We need a renewed hope. A renewed hope in the church. And I might even put it this way. This, you know, if, if there's anyone in this room that you have struggled with church, maybe you're here today and you're looking for one because, you know, you, you, something happened at the last one or you just know I need this in my life or, or, or maybe you're trying it on. Maybe it's like a pair of shoes, trying it on, see how it fits, see how it looks, see if it works right. I, I mean, I don't know. We, people come to church with all kinds of different reasons and different intentions. I hope that I can bring some clarity to the heart of God regarding the church because he still very much values and loves and cares for, and he's still coming back. He hasn't given up on the church. There's nowhere we can find where he has changed plans and says, you know what, forget that church. It's just too broken, too messed up, crazy people in there. They say one thing, they do another, a bunch of hypocrites, a bunch of Pharisees. He's coming back. He's coming back for his church. In John chapter 5, verse 1, after this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. And within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. You know, and I believe at, at any given point in our lives, we come to church the same way. Blind, lame, paralyzed. Maybe we haven't acknowledged that. Maybe we haven't acknowledged the fact that how we come and, and, and what we're in need of when we come to God's house, you know, because we, we, we love to come dressed up. You know, I grew up in church where you wore suit and tie. Even as a kid, I was wearing a suit and tie. And when I grew up, they didn't have children's church during service. It was before service. It was called Sunday school. And then we sat in big service. That's <laughs> what we call it, big church. It wasn't, it wasn't that big, but it was, we called it big church. That's where the adults went. That's where mom went. And we sat in those services just like everyone else. And I don't know about your history. I don't know about your past. But at some point, there's a recognition. There's a, there's a coming to a, a recognition and an awareness. I'm broken. Blind. Lame, paralyzed. Maybe you didn't realize you were as broken as you were until you got in God's house. Maybe we didn't realize that, that we were, uh, that we had stuff that needed to be dealt with. Maybe we thought we had it all together, but then when we ended up in the house, when we ended up in the place, in the event, like this, we say it all the time, right? Church is not a place, it's a, you can finish it, the church is a People, okay, maybe, you, maybe we're not as certain on that one. That's okay. Good thing I didn't ask that question earlier. <laughs> it is quiet in this Presbyterian church. Okay. We come in with these ailments, dysfunctions, disabilities. Now, this shows us here that they were blind, lame, and paralyzed. That's the stuff we can see on the outside. Those are the pains. Those are the issues. Those are the things that you end up being identified with. You know, uh, we, 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 could, we could come up with a number of categories today. It might be a physical ailment. It might be a, a social identity. It, it, it might be, uh, you know, uh, it, it could be anything that has happened to you or your life has become. But we come in with these disabilities. And in verse 5, it says, one man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. Now, that's a long time. Now, Jesus has a conversation with this one man. Of all the blind, lame, and paralyzed, Jesus approaches this one man, and he has this conversation in verse 6. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had been there a long time. So something about his condition, it was identifiable. You've been in this state for a while. You, you've, you've been doing this a long time. He didn't pick someone that had only been there a couple days. 
didn't pick someone that had only been there a week or so. He picked someone who had been in his condition, in this cycle, in this identity, in this brokenness, in this disability for 38 years. That's a long time to stay broken. I love how Jesus, he just goes for gold, man. He just says, get me the one that's been here the longest. Get me the one that's been here so long that they've completely lost hope in what this, this can even do. Give me someone that's not even expecting. That, that's, that's interesting. Coming to a place but where your, your hope gets shattered so much in your disappointment your disappointment, your disability, your disappointment, your disability, your disappointment, your disability. The disappointment overshadows the disability. 38 years in this cycle, 38 years in this brokenness, 38 years in this condition. And he asked this man a very interesting question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? You know, the first thing we need to understand is there is no time frame. There are no limits to what God can do. There are no limits to what God can do. I want, to, I want you to know that today. I don't care how many times you've fallen, gotten back up, fallen, gotten back up, fallen, gotten back up. I, I, I don't care how many times you've tried, you've tried, you've tried. I don't care if you've been in it for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years with that addiction, with that condition, with that problem, with that challenge. I, I, I don't care if it's brand new. I don't care if it's a geographical location. I don't care if it's a social issue. It doesn't matter to God. There are no limits. God knows how to break the barriers. God knows how to push past the limits. God knows how to reach you right where you're at. And this man comes to this place or is at this place every day. And he tells uh, 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 Jesus in, um, uh, where? let's see, what verse? What verse do I need? What verse do I need? Verse 7. Give me verse 7. John chapter 5, verse 7. Sir, the disabled man answered. Now, what does that tell you right there? How, how many times have you seen people respond to Jesus in the Bible? And, and usually it's something like, Rabbi teacher, good Lord, son of man, son of God. I mean, he's got all these. That's the only time in the entire New Testament he's referred to as sir. What, what does that tell you? He has no idea who this guy is. He has no idea. I mean, we, we, we've heard about the woman with the issue of blood who when she had heard about Jesus, she said to herself, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I can be made whole, right? Blind Bartimaeus, he can't even see physically. And he hears Jesus is around, throws off his coat and starts crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. I mean, he calls him by a very specific title, son of David. I know your, I know your family line. I know your bloodline. I know who you came through. And he can't even see physically, and he's calling him that specific. And this man, in his ailment and in his condition, ha has lost so much hope and has been met with disappointment. So he doesn't even recognize when the master, the healer, the, the one from heaven is standing right in front of him. I mean, that's a whole other level of disappointment. That's a whole other level of brokenness. That's a, that's a whole other level. And he gives an explanation. Now remember, Jesus asked, do you want to get well? We'll come back to that. But he just asked the question, do you want to get well? A yes or no question, a true or false question. Do you want to get well? Sir, sir, he says, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. This is his explanation. Maybe some of us might call it an excuse, but at this point, 
It is what it is. He's giving the reason. It's not that I don't want to get well. It's almost like he's responding in a, in a, in a smart aleck way or, or in a, uh, are you kidding me? Are you literally, I've been lame 38 years all my life, and you have the audacity to ask me if I want to get well? Why do you think I'm here? Why do you think I'm by this pool? And so he gives, well, sir, since you're asking, the reason why I haven't been healed is because I try to get down in that water when the waters are stirred by that angel that comes down. But every time I go down, someone else gets in in front of me. Basically, he's saying that no one there cares about his condition. Everybody is there for their own reasons. Everybody is there for their own preferences. Everybody is there for their own selfish reasons to get what they need. And how many times, uh, if I could just be a little blunt, how many times do we approach church that way? Not seeing the needs of those around us, not seeing the capacity of the power of God to fall in this place. And every need can be, there's no reason why anyone has to walk out those doors with the same need you came in with. That's the power that's present here. That's what is working in our midst. That is what's work. This is not just Sunday school. This is not just going through the motions. This is not just checking a box. But he says, every time I try to get in, someone gets in before me. And you know, after a while, over time, when you try and you try and you try, and you see others get their miracle, but not you. You know that that crushes you a little bit more. Disappointment sets in a little bit more. They got their marriage restored. Why didn't I? They got their financial breakthrough. Why didn't I? They got their miracle. Why didn't I? They got, they got that, that, that touch from God. Why didn't I? And so then what happens is we start seeking an experience. This man was only looking for and getting hungry for an experience of when an angel comes down, stirs waters. That, that was the, the ritual. The angel comes down, stirs the waters. Whoever gets in first, that, does that even sound like God? Does that even sound like God's character? Does that, does that even sound like God's nature? Whoever can get there first gets your miracle. Show me one time where Jesus had a, had a, uh, went into a town and says, all right, whoever can get to me first, you get me. Everybody else, you turned away. We'll try again tomorrow. No, I just told you. The Bible tells us he healed all who were. He would stay until they were all receiving what they came to get. Until they all heard. Until they all. It's the same thing with salvation. Every single person on this planet is going to have an opportunity to receive Jesus, make Jesus as their Lord. They're going to have the same opportunity. It's not first come, first serve. It's not the first 5,000 that get in. It's not, there's no quota to meet. It's everybody has the same opportunity. This, this ritual that they're believing in doesn't even follow the nature and character of God. doesn't even follow how he operates. But this man, over time, believing in a religious ritual, in a religious formality, in a religious practice, that's just ultimately what it is. See, the kingdom of God is God coming to us. Religion is us trying to get to him. There's a difference. God solved it all when he sent his son to this planet. There's no more striving to be and, and, and growing weary and becoming. And then when you don't, you get disappointed and you get let down and you become brokenhearted and you think God's not listening to you. God's ignoring you. God is silent. God is not speaking. God's not moving. And all these things, all, all, all these little things that we build up in our lives and build up in our minds to that, that, try to formulate a plan of why I'm not seeing what I'm seeing. He's already brought heaven to you. He's already brought the answer to you. He's already solved every problem you will ever face on this planet. He solved it in a man named Jesus. And when Jesus came to this earth, he brought heaven with him. He didn't leave anything behind. He redeemed you. He restored you. But this is the thing about redemption. 
Redemption always demands yieldedness. Redemption always demands yieldedness. I put it to you this way. I've never seen God redeem someone that didn't want to. Even if that will is this small, even if your want to is this small, why did he ask him, do you want to? What a stupid question to ask someone that's been lame 38 years. Do you want to? Do you want? But he's recognizing, I can't redeem you unless you want to, unless there's the yieldedness on your part to yield to what I'm bringing to you right now. You, you, you'll never redeem a person that doesn't want to. It doesn't matter how, you know, there's a lot of things that determine our want to. Maybe it's how broken you've gotten. Maybe it's how far you've strayed. Uh, uh, maybe it's how hopeless the situation. You know what we say about people sometimes? We just have to let them hit rock bottom, right? We just let, they, they have to become aware of how far off they are. I mean, there's all, you can't help people that don't want to be helped. You, you, ever, you, ever, you ever try to help someone? It's the most frustrating thing in the world, trying to help someone that doesn't want to be helped or trying to help someone that only wants to be helped their way. <laughs> Those are, those are two people that it, it's, it's hopeless. You either are going to have to want it or you're going to have to get your hands off of it and let someone else say, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to, this is where you need to go. This is how you need to, this is what needs to happen. You'd be amazed at how far you could go if you would let an outside voice in. I mean, I, I haven't done it a whole lot in my life. I, I, I like to work out, I like to be in shape and be in the gym, and only a couple times have I actually, you know, physically, literally hired somebody, paid somebody to train me. I did it two times. I did it once with CrossFit, about died every day. I believe in the resurrecting power of God because I, was, I came back to life every day after doing CrossFit for about three months. And then there was one other time, and both times, both times, funny thing, they didn't ask me what I wanted. They never did. They didn't say uh, how much how much weight you want to lift today. They told me, and it was always more than what I would have chosen if you would have asked me. In fact, one of the individuals he 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 asked me. He said he didn't ask me what I wanted to lift, but he asked me how much do you usually. And then he picked something ten pounds heavier than what. I, okay, I see what you're doing. I'm dropping the weight on the next one you asked me about. I've, I caught on quick. I see what's happening here. I said 35s. You gave me 45s. There's a problem. I'm dropping that the 25 next time. But a smart trainer will know if, if, if you're really being stretched and pushed. And, and, and sometimes that doesn't happen. Most times that doesn't happen on your own. You need someone on the outside saying, hey, I think you could add more weight. I think you could do this. I think you can handle this. I think you could take this. I think you can push this. I think you can stretch here. In fact, if you want to really see growth, you're going to have to stretch beyond what you think you can do, and you're going to have to show, you're going to have to be proven you can handle more than you thought you could. You know what's another big thing about handling stuff while we're on it? Sometimes we don't handle it well because of the way we're holding it. I found out that I couldn't hold as much weight out here as I could in here. Hello? Sometimes we're carrying weight around that's really not too much for us, but it's the way that we're carrying it and it's the way that we're holding it that is, is straining us and it's pushing us past our limits and it just, hey, hey, ease up a little bit. Right here. I had, a, I had uh, uh, someone tell me one time, you're squeezing it too hard. I didn't know that was a thing. I thought you, I'm using everything I got. You don't have to use that much. I was hurting myself doing something that should have been helping me. But these are all the scenarios, all the things that, that lend 
to our disabilities and our disappointments. These are all the things. Uh, I'm trying to package this in a way that we can understand that, that, that God has the power to redeem and renew. But it's not until I yield over some control and some access. But, but you know, one, one of the number one things I hear from people is when they come to church, they come guarded. We don't come vulnerable. We don't come laying out our life, and we shouldn't. I'm not saying we should, not to just anybody and everybody. But guardedness is really just control. That, that's really what that is. When I, make, when I make myself vulnerable, I'm yielding it. And of course, there's a trust component. Of course, there's a, but, but, but look, we're, we are trusting in the one who cares for you. Cast your cares on me, for I care for you. So this guardedness and, and this control factor, and it, it keeps us in a place where, where we don't fully yield, we don't fully let him reign, we don't fully let him work in our lives. I can't blame the trainer if I don't do what he instructs and directs me to do. Right? I can't, I can't blame the one that's instructing me, hey, don't eat this, don't drink that, watch this. And I live carefree and then wonder why I'm not seeing the results that I'm paying for and that I'm investing in and, and that I'm, and I'm poor. And look, you know, here in America, you know, we, we hate, there's one thing we hate, we hate to waste our time. We do. Now, we do it a lot, I know, but I mean, I, I, I do it a lot. Minutes, hours go by and it's like, my gosh, I could have read an entire book. If I would have scrolled it like I'm scrolling social media right now. I wonder what that comparison would look like. You don't hate to read. You just hate to read books. <laughs> you read posts all day long. You read comments all day long. We do it. But this yieldedness, this, the, the redemption of God will always demand a yieldedness on our part. So Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? What would it look like if we came to church with the yieldedness? The yieldedness of our preferences, the yieldedness of our ideas of what it's supposed to be, how it's supposed to sound, what it's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to feel like. And I just want to tell you too, I take personal responsibility. Just this week, this is kind of why this is burdened on my heart, why this is weighing on my heart. Just this week, I read about four mega church pastors that in the last six months have all either been forced to resign or had to step down. And they were all one thing, all of them, sexual immorality. All of them. And those aren't even the only ones. And we're talking large church. We're talking 20,000 member plus churches. Affairs, pornography. And so I get it. That, 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 I wanted to get in the water and they let me down. I get it. But Jesus still has hope for his church. We're still the body of Christ and we're still the bride of Christ. And I pray for those pastors. I pray for those congregations. I pray that the pastors will do the right thing and get restored as they ought to. I pray for the congregations that they won't just flee and run, at, you know, and, and go down the road and say, I want nothing to do with this. But listen to the Holy Spirit and say, hey, maybe God still has a plan for this congregation. Even though the leader fell, we need to restore this thing because there's more people that need to be reached. There's more people that need to be touched. But I get why there's a lost Hope in the church. I get why there's a guardedness. I get why there's a lack of yieldedness. I get why there, there's a, a, a lack of, of trust and, and, and a hope that this 
can be. But Jesus has still got a hope for this church. He's still got a hope and a plan for his church in these last days that we're going to be the ones to usher in the returning king. But these conditions, these conditions become our identity. These conditions, these disabilities, and these disappointments. To challenge the condition is to risk disappointment. To challenge the condition is to risk further disappointment. Have you ever gotten to a place where you're so broken and, 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 and so hurt that it's not even the disability that is the pain anymore? It's the disappointment of trying to cure the disability. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? It said that she had gone to many doctors and none of them were able to produce the results and she only got worse. You know what? You begin to even lose hope that this thing can turn around. It was her desperation that caused her to cry out to Jesus. It was her desperation. I've tried everything else and it didn't work. But what happens when you've tried it, what you think is God's way, what you think is God's plan, and it still doesn't work? Sometimes the pain of the disappointment can overshadow the pain of the disability. I can learn to live with a disability. And I can hide and guard my disappointment. I love Jesus. I love that. He's always looking to confront unbelief. Because unbelief is what cuts us off from what Jesus has. Anywhere there's doubt, anywhere there's unbelief. And, and he's recognizing, look, you're, you're actually believing in something. See, this is what we do. When we don't rely on the Holy Spirit, we come up with natural resources to be the answer. When we don't rely on the Father, we'll come up with our own ways of doing something. And then when that fails us, it's called religion. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. The kingdom is God's attempt to get to man. And religion will always leave you empty. Religious formality will always leave you more broken than it found you. Religion will keep you in the same cycle for 38 years. Religion will keep you trying and trying and then somebody else gets in. And then religion will actually cause you to come up with excuses for your disability. And will cause you to, 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 to lack the trust in God's plan and God's purpose. It's just religion. And the American church has let too much religion slip in to God's plan and purpose for the church. Most of what we call church today isn't really church as by God's design. It's, it's church by man's design. It's church by what we have conjured up. And then we get so small-minded about it that our way of doing it is the only way it can be done. And we call it denomination. We put a churchy term on it. It's just religion. It's just man's futile attempts to discern and ascertain what God is trying to do through his church in the last days. No, we need to get, we've got to get God's plan. We've got to get God's heart. I'm calling out to every Anchor Faith Church vision partner. If you are a vision partner with Anchor Faith Church and you know it, I'm calling on you on your behalf, on my, on my wife and I's behalf. We've got to reflect a kingdom church. The religious church has got to go. There cannot be cliques. There cannot be ideas and opinions and agendas that we hold to that are contrary to the word of God that we teach and preach. We can't just get up and run out the first time we get hurt or something painful happens. We, we cannot have these attitudes. We're not winning the world that way we're losing the world that way people broken in their cycles and then they come to our colonnades they come to our porticos they come to our bethesda they come and then we've got our little program okay if you can get in the water when this happens then you'll get if you don't get well you're on your own And I want to show you why this is so powerful, because I don't know if you noticed when we read John chapter 5, 1, 2, 3 in the CSB, we go straight from verse 3 to verse 5. There's no verse 4 in the CSB. But in the New King James, there's a verse 4. In the New King James, there's a verse 4. Do we have that up? 
John 5 verse 4 in the New King James. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now why would that verse be left out? Why would that verse not be in the other translations? Because that verse is not truth. That verse is tradition. That verse is not a true statement. It wasn't even in the original Aramaic manuscripts. This was man's idea, man's best idea of what was happening in that water. And because this man was trying man's idea, and it was futile, it didn't work. His attempts led to further and further disappointment because he was believing in man's way of doing something. Are you following me? He was believing in religious activity. I told you earlier, that is not God's nature. That is not God's character. Whoever can get in the water first, it's not consistent with the rest of the book. It wasn't even in the original writings. But because this man ultimately, there was no faith. This was fantasy. And this is what we do in our churches a lot. We have our plans. We have our programs. We have our ways. We have our angels that come down and stir waters. And if people don't do it exactly how we've proposed it, then they're not going to get. And they're, they're being disappointed because they're believing in something that was never true in the first place. He had believed this fantasy so much that when the miracle worker stepped right in front of him, he didn't even recognize him. I pray that our church never becomes a place that when Jesus shows up, we don't even recognize him because we're so consumed with religious practice and formality. This is a little bit of a call to action. This is a little bit of raising awareness. This is, I, I, again, this, is, this has been burden on my heart because the church has let people down. There is a responsibility we hold. And the more and more that we hold to our ways and our practices and our reasons and our agendas and our opinions, the more and more that we are limiting what God can do in people's lives. Because it's not our plan that changes anybody's lives. It's not our way of doing things. We're one of many, and we need them all. When I, when I talk to a, another pastor that's discouraged or down or going through something, and we all do, and we can't talk to y'all about it. Sometimes we don't even talk to other pastors about it because we're in such competition mode of how many people are you running, how many people you got, and how many people got saved this week, and how many people did you baptize, how many people did you have at your Easter service, how many services are you doing, how much money's in the bank, how many people do you have on pay? We have all this stupid competition stuff going on that we don't even have real conversations with one another until we're so broken and discouraged leading our churches that we want to quit. The, the statistics show that there's more pastors that would quit today if they could than ones that would stay. A lot of them never worked up another trade or another skill to go to. None of them don't have enough retirement or money in the bank to be able to walk away if they felt they needed to. The sad part is a lot of pastors, the only way out is suicide. It's literally the truth. I talked to a pastor friend one time. Myself, I talked to him. He said, I don't know how many times I've gone around that curve just wondering what would happen if I just stayed straight. And this isn't pity party for pastors. I'm helping you see that when we get away from God's plan and God's agenda, it, it does not lead us where we want to be. It's futile. It's disappointment. On the flip side of that, I'm here to tell you, Jesus has not given up hope on his church. We're going to see the kingdom ushered in. We're going to see the lame walk. We're going to see the blind see. We're going to see the, the deaf hear. We're going to see the, the, the brokenhearted be mended back together. Those that were thought they were beyond repair, they're going to be made so new. They're going to be better than they were before the trouble even came. 
We're going to see teenagers, young people come to Christ in droves, flocking into the kingdom of God. Schools won for the Lord. Christian superintendents, Christian mayors, Christian governors, Christians in politics, enforcing the kingdom of God, even in the United States that's walking the other way. We can see these things, but the church has got to rise. The church has got to rise. And our religious angels that stir waters, and if you can jump in in time, that mess has got to go. I mean, there's, there's nothing that I, that, that I want to see in the Word of God that I close my mind off to. If it's in the Word, I want to believe it and I want to see it in my life. I don't care how kooky it looks. I don't care how weird it may sound. I don't care if it puts me in a different category. If it's in this word, apparently we need it. Apparently it needs to be in operation. We need the Holy Spirit today now more than ever. This is not a time to say, well, it's kind of weird. I don't know what they're saying. I don't like how that sounds. This is a time to say, man, if I need that in my life, I'm good. I want it. Bring it on. It's time we see people running to the altars. Not me having to, I'll wait, you know, there's, let me see your hand. Uh, okay, anybody, I'll give you 30 more. Not talking people running to the altars. Wanting to come into the kingdom, wanting to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, wanting to commit their lives back to Christ in rededication. You won't find altar calls in the book of Acts because they came running before they ever got to give one. A lot of times it would say, as they were still speaking, they began speaking in the in, in, praying in, in tongues. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then they said, We just need to be baptized. We need to go be dunked in water. That's what we heard we're supposed to do. An imploring of the disciples, we want what you've got. It's time for the church to rise to a place where the world wants, not just mocks and makes fun of. We know the persecution and adversaries will rise, but there can be those that say, I've got to have what you have. You, you act different. You speak different. You talk different. You're patient. You, you, you're compassionate. You're understanding. You're loving. You're caring. You're bold. Where's the bold church at? Where's the church with spines? Where's the church with backbones? Where's the church that's going to stand up and say, no, we're not doing that. We're not giving into that. You know that's attractive. That's attractive to people. Boldness is attractive. There's somebody at your work waiting for you to open your mouth and stand up for kingdom principles. There's someone in your community. There's someone on your kids' baseball team. There's someone in, 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 the, in the, the sphere of influence you run in that is waiting for you to rise to who you are. And you're the only one that can do it. Because the kingdom of God is not here or there. It's within you. Worship team, if you'd come. It's a simple, it's a simple word. It's a simple challenge today. And I told God all week, I said, ah, you know, I, I need to prepare that. I need to build that. And I was thinking of a sermon series or, you know, some title or what. And, and this morning you just said, no, you're dropping it. And I'm just talking to you as a pastor today. A pastor that values what we do. I don't value it out of formality. I don't value it because we do it at 1030 and not at 10 o'clock like someone else. I don't value it because of the size or the, the location or, or how long it goes. I, I value it because this is what Jesus envisioned would be the hope, help, and healing to a lost and dying world. People come in with disappointment. You might be here. Where the disappointment in your heart is greater than the disability in your life. You've learned to live with the disability. You've learned to live with the, the, the ailment. You've learned to live. But, but God wants to do some heart work. Could we just stand? Just put ourselves in a posture of just being receptive. You've been sitting long enough. And I just want to give the Lord a moment to just work. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we... We prayed over the, the, the spirit of discouragement and disappointment. 
Because when you lose the want to, man, that's a dangerous place. And it's one thing to recognize I'm hurting, I'm broken, and I need to, I need to get help and, and, and do what you need to get there. But when you've gotten to the place where you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you've still been let down, let down, let down, and, and maybe today we acknowledge, man, I was trying it man's way. I wasn't doing it God's way. I was trying to get in the water when the angel stirred, but the healer's right in front of me. The miracle worker's right in front of me, and he's asking you today, standing in front of you, just as he stood in front of that man 2,000 years ago, he's asking you, do you want to get well? Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.